but in security, in particular to crisis response. Surround yourself with others in similar businesses or similar experiences and regular war game this so you're always keeping your, your intelligence and your mindset fresh and updated. This is the Rain Insights on Security podcast with Brian Lynch. Thanks for joining us. In today's podcast, Rain's Executive Director of Safety and Security, Brian Lynch, speaks to Rod Coyne. He's the Managing Director of Opcentrics, a U.S.-based firm specializing in security, operations, protection, intelligence, risk assessment, and training programs. They discuss how to protect businesses, assets, and their people from the threat of criminal activities. And they talk about Opcentrics' Ten Commandments to getting that done. Welcome, Rod, to the podcast. Uh, it's great to have you on today. Hey, Brian. Uh, good morning. It's good to hear from you. Well, Rod and his firm, Opcentrics, are an integral part of Rain's expert network of firms. The mission comes to us from our clients, fulfilling their security, safety, risk, and crisis needs. And Rain uses its expertise along with that of our trusted expert network firms like Rod's company today to meet those needs. I liken Rain's philosophy to the concept of the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, wherein mission and objectives can be solved by a number of different agencies under one leadership model, all acting in unison. So Rod, starting there, let's, let's talk a little bit about your firm to the benefit of our listeners. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that uh, that intro, and in particular, in the the reference to similarities of you know, kind of that bureau tactical side of things. Um, what I'll talk about today with with Opcentrics and what we do specifically focuses on more of the people and physical assets. Um, you have had a number of uh, really interesting guests that have covered the the cyber side of of risk and a number of aspects of that. Uh, thus far. And we sort of fit in that side where it's a little bit of multiple lanes that all apply in one way or another, sort of depending on the size of the company and to a certain degree, the type work they do and and how risk may, uh, may visit them in one degree or another. I thought uh, today a little bit uh, covering Opcentrics with an overview of what we do and then breaking down a little bit without going into too much detail, but kind of approaching things in a Ten Commandments kind of way. And then uh, we'll just ham and egg that back and forth and and uh, talk about a little bit more of interest. I think that's a, a great approach today. And, uh, and I've heard you refer to the Ten Commandments uh, piece of, of the business about what firms should at some degree in some depth have to cover their safety security crisis needs so and uh, maybe we start with site profile yeah that's great i think one of the biggest uh things that we learn very early on when we go to to visit with uh with clients or prospective clients or even long term is uh what i call a, a snapshot in many cases a lack thereof and that's that's simply a one pager um or it could be a couple pages it sort of depends on on the who and where, but the things that tell us about uh, where we are, what we do, and some very high-level kind of important bits of uh, information and data that in any given time in that sort of crisis extremis, 
uh, we might want to refer to all the way down to the, the first day uh, of HR where maybe they're trying to orient a new employee uh, onto exactly what it is we do. So I look at a, I look at a site profile as something that um, is kind of a, almost like an infograph, if you will. Um, it includes some of the obviouses, you know, the location and site name. It might go a little bit more in detail with very specifically the number of people that are on site and maybe a couple of sentences about the purpose, what we do and, and, and how that fits into the overall purpose, uh, key points of contact and communications, maybe a little bit of an overview of facility characteristics, uh, where the front gate is, where the back gate is. Um, an element of the security profile is always helpful. Uh, in many cases where companies may be sharing a building, there could be a third-party contractor that's running the security for the entire building, or for some larger entities, they may have their own internal proprietary. But I'm going to want to include a few highlights about that as well, um, and maybe their response to everything from an emergency. In, in today's day, that could be uh, the extreme things like active shooter, or it could be something a little bit more common that we see daily on a medical issue, uh, you know, someone in the, in the machine room that's had a, maybe a heart issue or something along those lines. And how do we, what do we do? How do we evacu evacuate them out and that kind of thing? Uh, and then lastly, include a couple of images. Uh, you know, a picture says a thousand words. So have a way to do that. And, and I'll just leave that with what I like to do in many cases, especially those folks who might be uh, forward facing or maybe they're on the crisis team or the security entity, maybe management. I'll go another step further and I'll, I'll turn this infograph, if you will, and I'll just save that as my desktop. It's, it's my desktop image. I'm oriented every day what's happening, but more importantly, when I need a number quickly, or I perhaps I need to give information to someone on the phone quickly, like a responding EMS or fire entity, then those things are right at my fingertips and it really helps build the culture of the entity around the things that are important quite quickly. Yeah, that's a great way to start. Um, you know, that site profile or snapshot that you mentioned uh, is certainly a great way to start because it provides you with that current state of, of uh, operations um, at the client. And then I, I know that you've talked about rapid assessment as, as another key component part. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, certainly. Uh, sort of commandment two, and, and you and I both know there, there are certainly more than 10 commandments, but for the purpose of uh, putting the conversation in, in context. The second thing for me after I get that idea or that, that profile, if you will, the snapshot, is a sort of a quick assessment of the people-related threats, and those can be external or internal if we have kind of some insider threat-related discussions, place threats, and that could be everything from maybe a business that's that's coastal or in a floodplain, or maybe something that's adjacent. Uh, maybe they have a neighbor that's a large defense contractor, uh, or they're sharing a building with a, a type entity that might be a little bit more uh, at risk or at conflict, in particular in today's day where we see, you know, pop up uh, large crowd issues very quickly. And then lastly, the profession threat. Um, you know, what is it that we do? If I'm a manufacturer of a, maybe a controversial device um, or maybe some of the things that we do are, are not necessarily agreed to by the, you know, the bulk of society, 
So I want to have a, a rapid assessment of those things that stand out, obviously, so that later as we work down into those other uh, commandments, if you will, we have that base profile of the things that are most likely to occur most often. And so from the snapshot to the rapid assessment, that process then leads to your third commandment, which is mitigation discussions. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like for our listeners? Certainly. So the, after those two things, we get, uh, depending on the, the, the team that's around the table, if you will, we need to talk about it a little bit. We need to talk about the uh, kind of an overview of what we've learned, what we've seen in those two uh, initial commandments. And then the the obvious pieces to detect, uh, you know, threats or anything, you know, a threat can be anything, but how do we deter it? Different ways that we can defend about it and, and then some recovery. This is designed really to, to continue to build on that culture of getting people to talk the way and see the way that you and I would as expertise, but start to develop that culture within the company. Yeah, I think that's a critical point because it all wraps around a process, but what's the process trying to uncover, which is the detection of threats and how does that impact the company? So having those three particular commandments in place allows an organization to have that process and have those discussions. I know another one of your commandments, number four, talks about policy. And, uh, you know, policy is important from the perspective of protecting the firm. Uh, so can you talk about what your philosophy is on that, Rod? Certainly. Thank you. After we cover those first three uh, criteria, we can really start to begin to get a pen to paper. Um, and those are going to be policy-related um, drafting of how we as a company, uh, how individual entities within the company in some instances, we may see uh, an HR body that sometimes wears the security hat. Uh, we may have that third, uh, that third party, right, an outside contractor that's managing it. But we want to start to apply all the prior discoveries and put them down to how we integrate that into our daily operations. For me, I, I look at policy as sort of a, a blue book and a red book. And that, that blue book is very simply... This is what right looks like. This is where people and things uh, should occur on a daily basis. This is what we do when nothing's going wrong. And that red book is the thing that we grab in a hurry for any of the above situations that have that have gone uh, in a direction. Yeah, I think the, the blue book, red book um, comment is really interesting because uh, to your point about folks having ancillary duties inside of companies, you know, the question always comes, well, how, how do we know that Johnny or Julie are going to do the same thing on the same incident at different locations? And one of the ways that, that, that we can do that um, is through your uh, policy process, because I think you're also noting that there are certain ways to do things inside of a company related to certain events. Is that, is that, do I have that right, Rod? Absolutely. There, there are components that we can't control. Uh, if we're in a, a large shared, you know, corporate complex where we may not necessarily own the real estate or the entire building. And we have to, we have to work that into 
that blue book on what right looks like. We need to know a little bit about the responses, but you and I have been in, in you know, environments where we've had to share the turf with any number of other. There could be another guy just like me doing security policy for his folks in a dramatically different building. And this policy phase in that blue book is going to help us discover that, develop relationships and networking on who's going where so that we can more uh, integrate these systems in those shared environments. Or or it could equally apply overseas where we may have uh, language or other challenges such as a bunch of expatriates and, and we can't necessarily just jump in our car and leave or go home that day. I really think that that is really important and an important process, if you will, to ensure the um, actions that are taking are <clears throat> reflective of the outcomes that we're looking to achieve. And, and really, you know, one of the easiest ways to do that is, is through the policy. And the, and the fifth component or commandment that you talk about which is the training and how important that is. Bingo. We've got a good foundation now that we can start to shape uh, and, and bring to life the training-related pieces of making the entire workforce uh, understand that blue and red book scenario uh, and, then, and then include them. And, you know, we'll, we'll discover a little bit more as we go through that process of training everybody sort of internally to this is how we do it in the company. And then with any with any training or any situation on that security front, there are always going to be externally facing uh, entities. Again, it's that third party that secures the building, or it could be uh, potentially local law enforcement that's going to be um, responding to a variety of situation or maybe a hazardous material type scenario. So we should be able to build training modules that reinforce and, and uh, expand and educate the workforce on that blue book and red book. And it all starts to have some tie-in now. Now we really have a, we're really integrating a culture that everybody starts to take on this security-themed responsibility and, and play a role. To your point about policy and training, which helps with process, you know, that's one of the easiest ways to have that uh, component as part of the DNA of a company, right? And, and I think that's what you're speaking of here is how, how, do we, how do we achieve these processes to the betterment of the company and make it part of the DNA? And through policy and your training modules that you spoke of, uh, that would be one of the easiest ways to do that, right? Absolutely. That's going to that's gonna tell us where, uh, where we're good and that's going to tell us where we need, to, we need some help. And I think that's a good segue into your uh, sixth commandment, which is specific to crisis response and how important that is. Because uh, as you know, in your experience, uh, the first part of a crisis is critical to how that uh, event gets managed and, and how the resolution occurs or doesn't occur in a timely manner. So can you talk about your sixth commandment, please? Thank you, Brian. The, the crisis response component here starts to really drill down into the professional level of that security lane, um, management to some degree, uh, legal and medical. 
but these are these are going to be the folks who are wearing the hats within that specific response. Things like active threat, we hear a lot about that today, but arguably that's a that's a very small percentage of a of a day. It's certainly a most concerning uh, component of crisis response, but it's a very tiny part of it. Um, it could be uh, HR related things where perhaps there was a maybe a media spill of of some information about a, a CEO or maybe some employees that we don't want to you know necessarily leak out there. So crisis response is going to drill down into each of the chapters, if you will, of that red book and how and who specifically does what. Another important point, and you know, it's, it, it, I'd like to get your comment on this from your experience. It's important that firms recognize what events are crises, because not every event that occurs in a company is a is a crisis that would require that kind of all of company response. So can you can you provide our listeners with a little bit of of your philosophy about that and how you approach that? Yeah, the the crisis response piece is a is a deep learning component where uh earlier we talked about that sort of 3P relatively quick risk assessment. Um the next commandment I'm going to talk about is a deep risk assessment. And, and the two combined allow us to dig down deep into uh, what I would loosely refer to as a if-then mentality. If an active shooter uh, is, we're made aware of an active shooter in the lobby of the building, then these are the responses. And that is step one, activate an alarm. Make sure somebody knows from a communication perspective. And then steps two, three, and four, you sort of go down that matrix of what, what the real-time responses are going to look like. With a number of, of our clients over the past, we've seen who might otherwise be competitors in the same ind- industries, let's say defense contractors, regularly have their expertise, their directors of security, all get together in a roundtable and kind of war game the things they think are their most uh, likely threats. And then some of that fringe, those extreme scenarios where they might see it where on a day-to-day basis they're competing with one another, but in security, in particular to crisis response, surround yourself with others in, in similar businesses or similar experiences and regular war game this so you're always keeping your, your intelligence and your mindset and, and ultimately back to that Red Book policy fresh and updated. Yeah, so your crisis response commandment really leads and dovetails into the deep risk assessment, which is, to your point, if this happens, then this is what we do. And, and that's where you, you get into the identification of, of what crises the firm needs to be really uh, either focused on or prepared for. Yeah, certainly. The, the, I'm a bit of an old school guy, so uh, back in, in my day, if you will, one of the methodologies used at the time was a risk, assess- a risk assessment known as CARVER, um, just an acronym that addresses uh, lanes that you can essentially logically go at and look at your entire operation, break it down into small bites, and essentially evaluate that risk for each one of those. Now, one of them might be uh, outer perimeter security, and the next one might be the internal systems, and and you can kind of go on from there. Carver ultimately, though, stands for the criticality, the accessibility, recuperability, 
vulnerability effects and recognizability. I won't go into too much detail with that today, but you should have a system, whether it's Carver or whether it's any number of other great systems that are out there that physically put pen to paper on every single step of a risk assessment. And these are often guided uh, multi-page um, matrices, if you will, that are going to not only prompt what you should be asking, but give you a mechanism to give it a rating scale. And what should come out of this deep assessment is those areas where quite likely maybe you're going to need a little bit more people or a little bit more funding dedicated towards it. Now, you and I both know one of the biggest challenges in this environment is after we do a deep risk assessment, you and I or other professionals in our business will always see the sky falling, great risk in, in just about everything, or we can look at something long enough and find that risk. But using a solid methodology, we should be able to come out of that and, and be able to speak to um, appropriate resource commitments to help shore up what that, what that vulnerability is and make sure that the rest of the company is on board. Your next commandment, which is number eight in your list, Rod, is it, it talks about due diligence. And can you provide our listeners with your thoughts on that? Yeah. So due diligence is one of those things that gets kicked around pretty, uh, pretty easily. It's something that, that we'd like to think everybody does. Uh, but more often than not, it's the thing that uh, is an enabler, if you will, that walks us back into some of these other risk components that we have. If we didn't do a solid uh, due diligence, maybe an employee background on a prospective hire to learn about uh, conflicts in the workforce that they had, maybe at a prior business, um, a lot of times we, we, of course, defer to our HR folks to do that, and, and they all do a really good job at it. But we just want to make sure that the proper steps in that due diligence component are actually occurring and being checked off. That includes contractors. That includes the team that is downstairs securing the front front doors of the building. Let's make sure we know a little bit about what the the third party does and looking back on their people. Um, again, we're not trying to peer into the personal lives necessarily. We just want to make sure that this, along with many of those other things, are boxes that just don't get sort of glossed over that we're actually doing it. And I, I think I'll leave the, the last point on this due diligence, Brian, with because of COVID and, and sort of the last couple of years, we've seen a tremendous amount of business happening on or through our, our system sort of virtually. And as we start trading and sharing that data, we tend to do it a lot of times with, with non-company uh, resources, people and other entities that we're discussing. We want to make sure that they're uh, IT and cyber policies, if you will, we talk a little bit about that and not just trust that they're doing the same things we're doing. So we don't have that come back and bite us on a completely different, not necessarily a physical risk, but a, a risk nonetheless. Yes, I, Rod, that's an extremely valid point, uh, particularly on knowing the risks and, and reducing the exposure risks uh, from an internal perspective, you know, what processes do does the firm have in place to reduce the risks that are out there? There's going to be inherent risks in everything that is done, but reducing those exposure risks through those processes is really an important point, I think. Um, the, 
the the ninth commandment talks about consultants and uh you know most of our listeners uh if not all of our listeners will have consultants or contractors that assist them in meeting their requirements their objectives or goals in the security crisis space uh so i'm looking forward uh, to your discussion around consultants on your ninth commandment rob yeah absolutely consultants uh play a critical role um it's it's sometimes difficult when when we're internal thinking about inviting outsiders to come in and and learn about all our uh intimate things within the business but that perspective on the outside that that doesn't necessarily get um biased or jaded from an internal day-to-day operations is absolutely critical in seeing the things the way they are and not necessarily the way the the brochure or management maybe wants us to see that. So that applies to any number, sort of all of the above. I might use a, a consultant to help me sort of hold my hand in a deep risk assessment. They need me because they're going to have a lot of questions about the internal workings of the company, people, places, and things. And in turn, as I sort of walk step in step with them, I'm going to learn how to take on some of these things and see them within my own organization after these guys are gone. So outsider opinions come in and they they tend to not be biased and they tend to be uh, really good because it's what they do on a daily basis. It's why we go to see mechanics and doctors. Um, I would take that sort of uh, down to uh, a little bit back on that, not so much in the policy level, but blue book, red book, right? You still want to know your consultant role back into that policy level. On a day-to-day basis, you have primary consultants who you regularly call on for any number of issues. And then you probably want to keep a short list of specialists that you already know and that already know you. That's a critical component. We never want to jump on the phone and call a consultant, if you will, that we've never spoken to. The hope is that we have such a, we have a, not only a vetted relationship back to due diligence, but also that we've spoken to them and they know enough about us. So when the call does come in, they understand that when we start talking about operational risk that we need help on in Mexico, they already have a pretty good understanding of where that is. And we can cover that with any number of you know, hold harmless and not competes and all the standard kind of legal documentation. But it's important that we have those guys uh, be a part of us before the crisis occurs. Yeah, Rod, I think that's really an important point. Um, you know, having that trusted partner, trusted vendor uh, relationship is is really important prior to the need. Uh, there's nothing worse, as we used to say, and, and, and I, I know you aspire to this philosophy is when you have a crisis, you certainly don't want to meet your partners for the first time during that crisis. And and the same can hold uh, through the consultants. And, and those folks that are, are uh, aligned with, with the firm to solve problems. So let, let me move to the 10th, uh, your 10th commandment, which is legal. And, and uh, you know, your previous comment about HR being part of the team and, and legal uh, now being part of the team. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the 10th commandment relative to legal? Yeah, so legal is one of those things. It's it's something we all live with on a daily basis. And again, um, this covers any any size of company. In some cases, even their legal is outsourced. While in others, they have a, you know an entire team of, of legal. 
we want to make sure in that security team, and they're regularly involved in these things, but I think there's a balance in making sure that they're integrated very early on, whether it's the snapshot or maybe that first uh, risk assessment, certainly in, in the policy side of things, but all the way down to you know deep risk, crisis response, et cetera. Uh, that said, you know we've all been confronted in situations where legal has such a significant role in the day-to-day operational business, but often they can sort of influence or have an, a, maybe an, an adverse effect when they start to jump into the security policy response side of things, because just like us in the legal side, they can see litigious risk in just about everything. So I think there's a, a balance in making sure that uh, legal is on board or, and aware and tracking the things that we're doing, uh, but not sort of a mother may I role either. Kind of finding that balance between the two, making them part of the team, not necessarily driving the team. Yeah, I think that's a really important point as well. So we've looked at the the Ten Commandments um, relative to uh, Obcentrics and their approach to uh, the safety, security, crisis, risk world, and space. I'd like to end our podcast today with, with a question for Rod and. And Rod, this this really comes back to when you are engaged with clients and you are asked to come in and, and assist, in your experience, what are the one or two items that firms typically miss in this Ten Commandments process or structure? That is a great question, Brian. Off the top, I think the thing that the, the deep risk assessment, um, you know, the who are we and and where are we vulnerable component uh, is probably one that's uh, quickly glossed over or maybe just avoided altogether, partially because of the, it's a little bit uh, resource intensive. It takes some time. It takes some effort. If you're bringing in a team, which I think you should, there's a cost component to that. And I think one of the drivers for not seeing this too often is some of that confusion and a lack of understanding of the benefit we gain after doing this. Everybody sort of takes on the mindset that after this, there's going to be a, a whole litany of recommendations. And if we don't do them, then we're, we're ultimately creating some risk by saying, you know, the expert said build higher fences and we didn't build higher fences and now we're at risk. We have to be sort of big boys about this and not necessarily let that distract us from the greater benefit of doing that deep risk assessment. So I think that's, to your question, that's one area in particular where they tend to just look past it. And then I'll back all the way to that first commandment. And it's first for me because the more you can have your workforce, your consultants, contractors, any and all the above, the more everybody understands a basic snapshot, a fundamental of what we do as a company, where we, where we physical are, uh, and, and how that could have an impact on how you get to and from work every day, um, all the way up to that quick response, quick phone number, who do I call for this, where's that exit that we were talking about on the so-and-so. I think you get that piece, and it's one of, of all these things it takes a few minutes to put it together, but it's one of the easiest ways to ensure that every single person in the building, in the organization, 
knows the same core criteria of the company. They all will have their lanes that they step into and, and sort of master their own expertise, whether it's finance or operations or out on the ops floors. But making sure that everyone has the same core understanding, every conversation since then, we can build on that and, and grow from it. Thanks, Rod. Excellent insights. And I appreciate you sharing your approach for our listeners today. Thank you. This was uh, this was a great conversation. I, you know, going quickly through what I throw out there as Ten Commandments. You know, we know there's a lot of others, but you and I and the rest of the teams are here in the event anyone has any questions. Brian Lynch is executive director of safety and security at Rain. Rod Coyne is managing director of OpCentrics. Rod is an experienced security practitioner with over 30 years of real-world application of expertise developed and honed in the U.S. military, other government agencies, and the private sector. There's so much going on in the world right now, it would be hard for any organization to single-handedly tackle the threats to their operations. RAIN was built to help. RAIN is a risk intelligence company that provides access to critical insights, analysis, and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our members. RAIN offers custom risk monitoring, including tools to efficiently screen and analyze emerging risks for your business. Find out how RAIN can help your business successfully identify and mitigate threats. Visit RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.